Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Charlotte. And this is the Midnight Record. The Midnight Record. Freeform episode. Freeform. <laughs> Obviously, this is a freeform episode that we're doing today. And as you could tell by the title, today we are going to be talking about laws that were created because of true crime cases, mm-hmm. which is very fascinating. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of them. There's ones that I knew, and then there's some that I had no idea about. So Yeah, and then there were some where I was like, this has to be based on something, but I didn't know right. what it was yes. based off of, Same. for sure. Same. Yeah. Um, well, we're pretty much going to get right into yeah. it. And, uh, Don't waste any more time. Yeah, no, no more time wasted. You know what we're here to do. We don't need to tell you any more about it. It's fine. Ray, do you want to start us off? I do. Perfect. So I'm going to start off with Adam Walsh and Code Adam. So this was a very big crime throughout the nation. On July 27th, 1981, six-year-old Adam Walsh was abducted from a Sears department store in Florida, and his severed head was recovered 16 days later, which is terrible. It was so awful. Yes. Uh, This actually um, led to the creation of Code, the Code Adam program, which helps children who are lost in stores or public places get reunited with their parents more quickly. If you hear Code Adam over a store's intercom, it means you should be on alert for a lost child or any sp- suspicious activity. Mm-hmm. Code Adam was first used by Walmart in the 90s, and since 2003, the Code Adam Act requires all federal facilities to use it. Also, John Walsh, Adam's father, uh, was the one who helped get the law passed, and he's the host, many of you will know, from America's Most Wanted and helped bring notorious criminals to justice. Absolutely. So he, I feel so terrible for him, but he really took this and tried to create change with it. 100%. The best you can do in that situation. Absolutely. If you can, like, you don't have to. After, After something that traumatic happened, deal with it how you... How you need to. Yeah. But he really, I guess, just wanted to make a change after something so terrible. Right. And, like, he's definitely become the face of, like, advocacy for unsolved murders, yeah. you know. Now, this next one was a law that I actually didn't realize was based off of, uh, I don't even want to say it's a crime because it's not, I guess it is a I don't know. It's hard <laughs> to describe. Anyway, um... <laughs> That literally made no sense. Sorry about that. (laughs) So this is um, about the bipartisan law to help people affected by HIV and AIDS. Mm. Ryan White was 13 years old when he received a blood transfusion for his hemophilia that was contaminated with HIV in 1984. Mm. Diagnosed with the human... Ryan was told by the superintendent in the district that he was not going to be able to return back to school. Um, Also in 1984, for those who don't know, that was the height of the AIDS epidemic here in the United States. That's terrifying. And honestly, they weren't 100% sure about how it was spread. I mean, they... There just wasn't a ton of research behind it. And people were... Tens of thousands Mm -hmm. of people were just dying Mm -hmm. every month. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, Ryan faced AIDS-related discrimination from other students, school officials, and people in his town in Indiana. Ryan and his family advocated against the stigma of the disease and for blood trans and for blood donations to be tested for HIV. President George 
H.W. Bush later signed the Ryan White Care Act into legislation into 1990, the same year as Ryan's untimely death, um, providing that the providing the country with assistance for comprehensive, cost-effective diagnosing and treatment services for communities disproportionately affected by the HIV HIV epidemic. Now, I do just want to preface that, like, part of this law also is incredibly homophobic because mm. LGBTQ plus men can still, still cannot give blood, give blood yes. which is so screwed up because it's obviously it's complete. Well, it's homophobic, right? right. Like yeah. it's, it's, and so although a lot of good has come out of this care act a lot of homophobia still surrounds it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, I will, you know, there's pros and cons to both of this, right? Like, obviously, it has, ca- it has caused a lot of homophobia surrounding blood donations, but uh, it also provided cost-effective, like, care when it, like, for diagnosing and everything, mm-hmm. too. So... Double-edged. Yeah, it's definitely a double-edged sword, for sure, so... Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know about that. But I didn't either. It's interesting to think about the fact that at that time they weren't sure how it was like transmitted and things like that. And people, I'm sure, more than just this uh, person in particular, received a blood transfusion that may have been HIV positive. And that's right, a 13 year old. Think about yeah, who died literally six years later. Ugh, terrible. Really awful. But I mean, if you've ever seen an AIDS documentary or tv show in general Mm -hmm. you know they would like nurse some nurses wouldn't even touch patients because they didn't know if they could contract it via touch like it was it was pretty awful and i have you know being in theater most of my life i have had many discussions with people who were alive during that time here mm-hmm. in New York City and hearing their horrific stories of them just being like every week I was going to multiple funerals for my friends. It's just that's, awful. Yeah, that's awful. Awful. Horrific. Yeah. So get yourself tested. It's very important. For sure. So the next one I have is regarding the Amber Alert. Most of you probably know or have heard of an Amber Alert or gotten one of those very startling notifications on They're your very aggressive. phone that are like... <laughs> Um, I've been in a room with like a bunch of people and they all start going off at once. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. But for those of you who don't know, Amber Alert was named after a real person, nine-year-old Amber Hagerman, who was kidnapped and murdered in 1996 and the killer has never been caught. Um, so this far-reaching system broadcasts the news of a missing child via television, highway notification signs, text messages, providing as much pertinent information as possible about the child and the suspect. Um, In this instance, Amber has two meanings. It's both a tribute to Amber who lost her life and an acronym that stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response, which is weird how that fit in. Like her name was Amber and that just like fits in very, very well to it. Um, The success of the Amber Alert system has led to similar programs such as Silver Alert for missing senior citizens who may suffer from dementia or other mental disorders and the Blue Alert, which aids police officers missing in the line of duty. Um, And I know the Amber Alert, like we've said, how um, 
America's Most Wanted has led to a lot of children being found probably faster than they would have been because it adds so many eyes on the lookout than would be if it was just like authorities looking. Oh, absolutely. You know, for sure. So that's, that's a really important one. Really sad case. I've uh, covered it on TikTok before. Um, she was in a parking lot riding her bike and somebody just snatched her right out. So yeah. uh, somebody who was in the area heard like a scream, but then she was just gone and it was like pretty close to her house. Um, but at this time, I feel like still during this time, people were a little more lenient with like, I mean, it, it varies, but with like their kids going out and playing by themselves. Right. Like I know me being a true crime person, I kind of, I, w- I would probably be a crazy parent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I get that. Next law I have up is about firearms, which obviously we definitely need to do a, do a better job. Even like now in 2022 of gun regulation in the USA. But in 1981, it was way worse. And let me tell you why. In 1981, an attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan by John Hinckley Jr. resulted in the injury of four people, including including the president and then press secretary James S. Brady, who survived being despite being shot in the head, which is just crazy. Mm-hmm. Authorities discovered that John Hinckley Jr. had bought multiple guns in the years leading up to the shooting. The Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act of 1993, or Brady's Law, led to the establishment of the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, or NICS, that all licensees must must contact before selling a firearm to an unlicensed individual unless the state has alternative provisions and permits in place. Now, a lot of these states do have lots of loopholes, for sure, Mm -hmm. um, but I find it it literally took trying to kill a president for them to be like, oh, well, I guess maybe we should background check people. Right. Go figure. Now that a president. Yeah, yeah. Right. It has to be somebody who they care about. Of course. It's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. So the next one is Kitty Genovese and 911. On March 13th, 1964, a young woman named Kitty was stalked, stabbed, raped, and murdered. The New York Times reported that 37 people saw this incident, yet no one reported it. I mean, that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, how we're, we, like, sometimes, like, hear people yelling on the streets and we're not exactly sure. Right. But if I'm literally seeing, like, something go down, I'm telling somebody. So, they said, or they may have tried to contact police, but never got through, which, eh. To report an incident at the time, you'd have to dial zero for the operator or local police and then call. the call would be transferred to a communications bureau before getting transferred again to a specific precinct. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Finally, after all that, a police officer could get dispatched to check out a potential crime. But all that changed after Kitty's murder. In 1967, a nationwide distress hotline replaced this method and 911 was born. The first 911 call was made in Haleyville, Alabama on February 16th, 1968. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it was like a whole process mm-hmm. to call in. It took like three times as long to get to the police department. And now that there's an emergency hotline, it's even better. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Sex offender registries, I've always just thought existed forever. Mm-hmm. But fun fact, they obviously had to start somewhere. And this is the case that 
forced the country to create sex offender registries. So Jacob Wetterling was just 11 years old when he was abducted and murdered in 1989. His killer wasn't identified until 2016 when he was in custody for child pornography charges. As one of many young boys sexually assaulted in that area from 1988 to 1989, the publicity of his case helped legislatures choose his name for the law. As part of the Federal Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994, the Wetterling Act required states to create sex offender registries, add a heightened class for sexually violent predators, and require address verification and provide procedures to protect the public. So it added layers to sex offenders because right. sex offenders can be anybody who enjoys flashing or like was kids peeing near or was peeing near somebody or was ground. dating somebody underage, which like, don't do that. Right. But to but there are levels very to... violent criminals. Right. Um, yeah. And then obviously the addresses and now you can just Google like, where are the sex offenders in my area? And then mm-hmm. it can be like, here you go. And it's like, oh, no. Yeah. I suggest not doing that. It's yeah, terrifying. It is. All right. So we've all heard the term, you have the right to remain silent, but not everybody knows where it originated. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> do you know it by heart? Do you know the Miranda? You have the right to remain silent. Everything you say or do could be used against you in the court of law. You yeah, have a right to, the, to an attorney. If you cannot get an attorney, the court will provide one to you. Mm-hmm. Like, do you understand your rights or something like that? Yeah. We got it. Yeah. We're pretty much there. I mean, hire us right now. Tag team in it. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On March 2nd, 1963, an 18-year-old woman from Phoenix told police she had been abducted and raped in the desert. Police tracked down a car that matched the description and found a man who had a prior record as peeping Tom, but nothing more. Ernesto Miranda was arrested in 1966 on suspicion of robbery, kidnapping, and rape. During the interrogation, he confessed to committing the crimes, but that conviction was eventually overturned due to intimidating police interrogation methods, which we've talked about in some of our cases before, Mm -hmm. how they will kind of... They'll coerce you into saying what they want you to say. Exactly, and like kind of give these people like keep them in rooms for like hours and hours at a time. With, no water, yeah, no bathroom, right. no food. Yeah. And eventually you get to the point where you're like, if I just do this, I'll get some relief. Um, Miranda rights were created to prevent this from happening in the future. By law, these rights are, must be clearly stated during any arrest in the United States. Pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. The next one I have goes into the last one I was just talking about where it comes in. What, where we were talking about how uh, they created a registry. So this is about the Pam Lyncher Sexual Offender Tracking and Identification Act of 1996. So it didn't come too far after the uh, sex offender registry started. So Pam Lyncher was a real estate agent who was showing uh, a Houston home, oh my God, when a man looking at the house sexually assaulted her. Her husband arrived and confronted the attacker, who was later revealed to be a twice-convicted sex offender. Her attacker was sentenced to 20 years in prison, but was up for parole in just two years. When Pam was notified about the parole hearing, she contacted the city of Houston's 
Victims Assistance Office, where through connections with the victim of gun violence, she formed Justice for All to advocate against violent crimes. She worked to amend the Wetterling Act to enact the Pam Lyncher Sexual Offender Tracking and Identification Act of 1996, which established a national database at the FBI to track sexually violent predators and include and increase, quote, the duration of state registration requirement from 10 years to 10 years or life, depending on the number of prior convictions and the type of crime committed, unquote. Mm -hmm. So instead of going from states, which was the Wetterling Act, it went nationally, and now it was attached to the FBI. Mm. And it wasn't just 10 years, which I think certain people are and should be on those lists forever. Yeah, completely agree. So next we're going to talk about a case that I've discussed briefly in the past uh, during the Georgia Leah Moses case. Um, This is the case of Polly Class. 12-year-old Polly Class was kidnapped from a sleepover and murdered in 1993. And during the investigation, it was discovered that Polly's killer had committed multiple previous offenses. This led to the three strikes law in California, which states that defendants with one serious or violent felony conviction may have their sentence doubled for a second offense. Anyone with two prior convictions must automatically serve 25 years to life for a third felony, no matter what the severity. There are many critics of three strikes, including members of class, class's own family. The stipulations were softened following a vote in 2013. Um, I mean, I th- I feel like we've seen this before as well, where people um, either end up escalating or we wonder how they were even on the street in the first place to commit such an act. Right. Um, actually, something that I see- saw recently, um, it's it happened, it, it kind of goes off of the, I think it was the last four, three, four we we did on um, women and uh, Asian American violence and yes. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just recently in the news saw this man who has been a repeat offender of uh, like anti-Asian Asian like hate crimes, and recently just smeared feces on a woman who was just sitting there. Oh yeah, I saw that too. Disgusting. Like. If it's happening again and again and again, like, why are we just, like, almost, like, catch and releasing? Like, there's no behavior being changed. Why is this allowed to be repetitive behavior? There's no rehabilitation in in jail for those right. types of people. Right. And I apologize. I was listening. But while you were talking about that, I wanted to look at Mary Vincent's case, who was mm-hmm. the woman who was, who got her arms literally chopped off uh-huh. by Lawrence Singleton in California in the late 70s. And I was like... I feel like, if I recall correctly, the reason why this man kept getting out of prison was because they didn't have this three strikes law at the time, which would still not happen for, what, 15 years? Mm. Um, Because I think she was, like, his, like, fifth or fourth um, victim or something like that and just kept getting sent back, taken out and sent back and taken out, and it's just, like, crazy. We've seen this in multiple cases we've covered, I feel like. And what's interesting is, like, well... Is the three strikes law specific to just, like, the same type of crime, or is it just um, in general? I think it's just felonies in general. Okay. Uh, yeah, so one, if it's one a, serious or violent felony conviction. I was going to say, but if it was a misdemeanor, then it's not going right. to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
which kind of comes into the play when I'm like talked about like escalation of these like said crimes right but that's also i mean like you said we have like no rehabilitation in place or or any way to help these people or like i mean even like we talked about um in the other episode like these people who are actually like mentally ill and need help there and that's kind of why they're going out and like repeating their behavior because they need mental health care absolutely um but yeah 100 percent it still needs some work, I'd say. Yeah, I I mean, I agree for sure. There's, like, we always need to be amending mm-hmm. things. And this is why it's important to read up on who you're electing into office. I know it's a soapbox I'm always on, but I will continue <laughs> to be on it. Um, I'm going to keep it right next to me at all times. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Full of soap. Um, <laughs> so much soap. Uh, this is a much more recent act that was passed it was actually passed under the obama administration and i'm and it happened almost 10 years after the like these crimes happened this law is is surrounded by the matthew shepherd the murders of matthew shepherd and james bird jr so, in 1998, openly gay college student Matthew Shepard was tied to a fence and violently assaulted by two men in Laramie, Wyoming. Matthew died of brain trauma days later. The two men were sentenced to prison for murder, but could not be charged with a hate crime because of sexual orientation, because sexual orientation was not included under the law at that time. That same year, James Byrd Jr., a black father of three, was lynched by three white men, and his family worked with Shepard's family to increase the penalty for hate crimes. In 1968, federal hate crimes statute made it a crime to, quote, use or threaten to use, wait, quote, use or threaten to use force to willfully interfere with a person because of race, color, religion, or national or national origin, unquote. In 2009, the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act expanded the original to include crimes against the victim's sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. The act also provides funding and assistance to states to help investigate, prevent, and prosecute hate crimes, Mm. which that's the most horrific thing about Matthew Shepard's case is that yeah, they got charged for murder, but they would have gotten more time because it was a hate crime. Because it was very clearly a hate crime. That case has always stuck with me since the first time I heard it. Like, it's... It's disgusting. That case is one of those cases where I know a lot about it, and it's just... It's just, like, so upsetting to Mm me. Um, Yeah, and then, you know... Obviously, like, James Byrd Jr. literally being lynched is just crazy. And unfortunately, I didn't look up how much time his, uh, what's the word? His murderers got. But from what I understand, it simply was not enough. And also, I, if I, yeah, it was like a, it was federal hate crimes, but I, you know, because we have states' rights over here, Mm -hmm. it can be differentiated state by state right um a little bit which you know this act helped overarching federally mm-hmm. to up those hate crime um yeah the time that you get for committing a hate crime right yeah sad very sad very sad 
So this is a, this is another thing that we've talked about repeatedly on the podcast before. Um, basically, the amount of time that people have to wait before reporting someone missing, mm-hmm. um, which we typically see people like having to wait twenty four hours, um, which in some cases that we've talked about is too, way too long. Way like, too long. There's a huge window of time, and people should be heard when they think like yeah it might not be true every time they could have run away whatnot but at least we're being careful and doing the due diligence in the in the time with it right it's like how are you supposed to wait 24 hours for a five-year-old to go missing yeah and that's kind of what we get into a bit more here so we have 12 year old johnny gosh who was kidnapped in 1982 when delivering newspapers near his home in des moines Um, unfortunately at that time, missing children were treated like missing adults with parents being forced to wait 24 hours to report the innocent incident in Iowa. Parents were required to wait 72 hours, which is just like way too long. 72. They say in the first 48 hours, like you, yeah, that's why they have that whole show. The first 48, 100%. Like that's insane. Especially like, imagine it's like a two year old. I'm going to wait 72 hours after seeing my two year old child. No, but investigators found that abducted, Children are usually harmed or killed within the within the first three to four hours. So that 24 hours is just ridiculous in general. Right. The Gosh case captivated the nation and Johnny's parents devoted themselves to getting the laws changed. The Johnny Gosh bill passed, in Iowa, passed by Iowa legislature in 1984 and mandated... I mandated that law enforcement begin investigating missing children cases immediately after they're reported. So that's progress. Absolutely. But it's, I still think that 24 hours is way too long. Yes, I agree. I think but, that well, this should... one's for children is technically immediately. Sure. But um, I think it's even too long for adults. Yeah. I agree. Because again, what if the adult that you're like calling about is mentally disabled or, right. you know, on the spectrum in some way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that has the mi- quote unquote mind of a child. Right. But is technically a 32-year-old. They don't take any of that into account, which is crazy. Um, This is probably the most recent one on our list that was signed into office in 2018. Um, And it all surrounds emergency calls that are made from hotels. You know how hard it is to Mm. make a phone call from a hotel phone? You have to press 9, you have to do this, and you have to do that. Like, no ma'am, no ham, no turkey. Sometimes you just simply don't have the time. Right. So Carrie Hunt Dunn was stabbed to death by her estranged husband in a hotel room in 2013 in Texas while her three children watched. Her nine-year-old daughter knew to call 911. However, she tried four times and couldn't get through. As it turns out, she wasn't aware of the then common practice of dialing nine before making a call outside of the hotel. In 2015, Carrie's parents helped introduce a Texas bill that required that symptom that sim that systems like hotels and businesses no longer use the prefix in order to call 911. In 2018, Carrie's law was signed into U.S. federal law. Yeah, it's definitely necessary. And like that kind of goes into too. I don't know if it's related at all, but like how you don't have to like put in the password on a an iPhone to be able to like call right. 911. You can just like or even like press the one button and it goes to emergency and you just slide Absolutely. to call. So I don't know if they're related at all or if that came from just something different or just I'm sure they are yeah. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Alright. The next one I have 
regards uh, stalking. So, model actress Rebecca Schaefer was shot and killed near her Los Angeles apartment in July of 1989. Prior to the event, an obsessed fan from Arizona named Robert Bardo had written Rebecca letters and even hired a private investigator to track down her home address using motor motor vehicle records. That private investigator should not be allowed to private investigate anymore. (laughs) Following her death, new laws in California made stalking a crime and restrictions were placed on public access to driving records. The state also created a special unit to protect, protect celebrities from obsessed fans. The laws were eventually adopted in other states, too, which I know there's there's a ton of stories of, like, uh, famous actors and whatnot um, of, like, crazy stalking stories. I mean, we're nuts. Taylor Swift has some of the most Mm. horrific and, like, aggressive stalkers in, like, recent times. But I'd be terrified. Yeah. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. By the note. It's a no for me. It's going to be a no for me. <laughs> so the last one that I had on my list uh, has to deal with David Berkowitz, which we covered last summer, yeah. a.k.a. the Son of Sam and the laws and the Son of Sam law that is in the state of New York. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, David Berkowitz uh, used the name Son of Sam during his notorious murder spree in the mid-1970s in New York City. After his arrest in August of 1977, Berkowitz's intense presence in the media led to widespread speculation that he might sell his story to a writer or a filmmaker. Although Berkowitz denied wanting any kind of deal like this, the New York State Legislature swiftly passed preemptive legal statues anyway, the first legal restriction of its kind in the U.S. The original New York law was invoked in New York 11 times between 1977 and 1990, including once against Mark David Chapman, who was the murderer of musician John Lennon. Because Mark David Chapman was trying to write a book, and they were like, nope, you can't do that. (laughs) Critics will argue that the law infringes on freedom of speech and therefore violates the First Amendment, and that the Son of Sam laws take away any financial incentive for many criminals to tell their stories, some of which, um, such as the Watergate scandal, were of vital interest to the general public. However, after numerous revisions, New York adopted the new Son of Sam law in 2001. The law requires that victims of crimes be notified whether a person convicted of a crime receives $10,000 or more from virtually any source um, when it comes to relating to their crimes. Mm -hmm. The law also attaches a statute of limitations, giving victims an extended period of time to sue the perpetrator of the crime in civil court for their crimes. This law also authorizes a state agency, the Crime Victims Board, to act on the victim's behalf in some limited circumstances. Thus far, the current state, the current New York law has survived court scrutiny. In certain cases, the Son of Sam law can be extended beyond the criminals themselves to include friends, neighbors, and family members of the lawbreaker who seek to profit by telling publishers and filmmakers of their reaction to the criminal. In other cases, a person may not financially benefit from the sale of a story 
or of any mementos pertaining to the crime. Hmm. That one's just wild to me. Yeah, for sure. Quite. Yeah. <laughs> so the last one that I have is actually one that's still in progress of being passed. Um, and this is Bianca's Law. Mm-hmm. So in July of 2019, Brandon Andrew Clark killed Bianca Devins. Um, they, the two had met on Instagram in April of 2019 and, um, he actually killed her and ended up posting the videos to Discord, which is like a, like a chat network. A lot of like gamers use it. Yep. To like talk to each other. And so the, the photo from there began circling around social media, spreading like wildfire of uh bianca's body it's pretty Um, horrific yeah it's terrible and he actually he attempted uh to kill himself but didn't wasn't successful um so as of january 19th 2022 um local lawmakers have been trying to pass bianca's law to prevent the circulation of these kind of gruesome images assemblywoman marianne buttons buttonshin says the bill which will create criminal and civil penalties for disseminating personal image has passed the assembly she goes on to say her tragic death was exploited for likes and follows after her attacker posted pictures of her body to various social media sites nobody should ever have to endure trauma like this bianca and her family deserve peace and this legislation would ensure that those who share images online to degrade or humiliate others will be held accountable for their actions so literally people on like instagram and whatnot were downloading these images putting their profiles on private and commenting on like posts about bianca and saying if you want to see the images follow me and i will send them to you so they were trying to get follows and likes like exploiting this girl by Mm. creating a firewall for people to be able to see them like because they know people are morbidly curious oh absolutely want to see the photos well and it's also because of what happened to bianca that messages from strangers now don't immediately go to your inbox Mm. on Instagram. They go to that like general inbox. Right. Or spam or I forget what it's It's, request inbox. Yes. 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 Um, Because it was just so easy for Brandon to just get in touch with somebody who he had never even met Mm -hmm. before. Um, Which again, it's so horrific that so many like crimes like that we've talked about, but like crimes like these that we, have to happen for us to be like, oh, wait, shit, like, that should be a thing that is already in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the next step for this bill is to go to the Senate for a vote, and hopefully, I mean, it passes and that becomes an effect because that whole thing was just really fucked up. It's really messed up, yeah. And, um, scare. I remember when it happened. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. seeing it on Instagram and being like, what is going on? Like, I unfortunately saw the photo as well because it was it was just like I looked up the case and what was going on and it was like there because people were sharing it. Yep. Um, but Bianca's killer, Brandon Clark did plead guilty to murder and was sentenced to 25 to life in prison. And that is all I have for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And of course there are going to be laws that we definitely missed. Like yeah. we're not, there's a this, ton. It's just a lot <laughs> you, of them. We'd be here for days. You know, we, you guys know, the but drill. Okay. if there's any that you have an interesting background, backstory on or or want us to expand on please feel free yeah and ray where can they 
let us know all of their thoughts, opinions, and ideas. I think they can let us know on at the Midnight Record on Instagram or TikTok at TMR Pod on Twitter and the Midnight Record at gmail.com. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast listening platforms. It really helps us out. We love seeing your comments on uh, on all the videos Everywhere. and the Instagram posts <laughs> and just all the things. And we just really appreciate the continued support. Yeah. Also, please do not forget to go check out our brand new Patreon that will be linked in the show notes as well. And if you feel so inclined or can... Um, we very much encourage you joining one of our Patreon tiers. Yeah. Very excited about that. Fun stuff in there. For sure. Well, right. Until next time. I'll see you at midnight. I get, I, I'll see you at midnight. I don't know why my mind went blank. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that right? <laughs>